Welcome to the Ballyhowra podcast series, Community Reimagined. Um, my name is Mairead Lavery and the Community Reimagined is a campaign to support social enterprise in the Ballyhowra region and it will communicate to the general public about what social enterprises are, how they make a difference and the impact they have on local communities. And today we're doing another one of these podcasts all about green. So we're going to start with yourself, Marion, from um, Doom Farm. So will you tell us a little bit about it, please? I will, Mairead. So uh, lovely to be here and to meet the other guests. Dune Social Farm is a 33-acre farm. It's organic, so it's certified organic, which means it has to comply to certain standards of input, so the inputs are all natural and green. Um, there are 200 hens. Uh, we have um, a horticultural enterprise where we sell organic vegetables. And are the 200 hens wandering about the place or...? <laughs> They'd they love to be, they? but they kind of are. They they are on grass, like they are outdoors, but they are penned in as well. So it's kind of restricted, but they're not wild altogether, but they do have access to grass. Right. So that is one of the standards of organic the, hens. The, yeah. And do you give them stuff from the pie tunnels as well? They get a bit. They get the old Brussels sprout and, you know, a bit right. of cabbage thrown in um, when they need it. So they get some of the greens, but um, they get organic hen food, which is quite pricey. But we, that's just what we have to do. We have to feed them organic feed. We have to make sure they're they're out on grass um, and that they have access to, to fresh air and sunlight. And can you build in that kind of circular economy when it comes to the food? Could you grow what they're they're eating? That would that be, expensive? yes. You see, what, what we're, I'm only here a month in the job. And what we're looking oh, right. at at the moment okay. is how do we go forward bringing down our costs and increasing our sales, right, as mm. any business would. So we are looking at things like that would definitely be, that is something we're looking at the feasibility of. Uh, we have the land. Could we then till it for wheat, which makes up about 60% of hen feed, right. organic wheat, because we're buying in feeds. That would be an example. Or would we cooperate with other organic hen producers um, buy and feed together or we need to look at that but that is definitely one of the that is an option and you're talking about the circular economy yeah not only that but then the the manure that comes off the hens on the straw right gets okay. composted and goes back on the, the land for the vegetables so it's all good stuff it's all good stuff yeah right. so that would be kind of what we'd be we'd so so that's thinking. then the polyhenton and the hens yes and what are you growing potatoes there as oh well. yeah we do a lovely variety of potato um, which is a great seller, uh, but the best seller we have would be the salad greens. They kind of, they get, you know, taken up really quickly by the shops mm. and the outlets. Mm. So, um, and we're only just coming back into them now, you know, picking them for restaurants and shops. And so, have you got salad greens grown at the moment? For we harvesting? have, we've just, um, yeah, but today, I mean, there's only two little bags harvested, <laughs> but it's the start, it's the start right. of the season. So okay. April is when they'll be fully in and we'll be selling them out to the outlets. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's what you do? Part of what we do, yeah. Right, so who do you support then? That is the farm side of it, which is commercial. Right. But because, you know, there's an awful lot of, um, we have other uh, other activities going on that take up the time of the staff. Um, we we are hoping to go down the road of this, the therapeutic services that we offer out to the community. So that'd be social, educational, therapeutic services that fall under the umbrella of social farming, which also fall under the umbrella of green care, you know. Um, yes. But um, the green care umbrella would include things like the equine therapy, the forest bathing, social therapeutic horticulture, social farming. So we are social farming and also ser- social therapeutic horticulture. And is that part of the whole prescribing Yes, yes, yes. So that would be the next step. So social prescribing would be where we would link in with um, medical services, social services and 
community services for people who it would be far more therapeutic for them to come out to the farm and have a session out there rather than go on the pills, the tablets, or into A&E. Right. So if you catch things early enough, like a good example would be social isolation. Mm. You've got somebody who's socially isolated. They're at risk of um, developing mental health um, issues, which down the road could fill up a space or a bed in a hospital mm. if that's caught early enough. And that's prescribed into something like social So farm. many hours work. A week. Or a week. Yep. Um, but that has to be then genuine, doesn't it? It's just not it, they are playing yeah. by numbers or painting no, by numbers. It's no, so that's why it'd have to come through either a social prescriber. Yes. And there would be two that I know of in, in Limerick, one in the city, one in the county. They would come through the social prescribing programme into us. Mm. So they're the links. I'm only, like I say, a month in the job. They're the links that we make. But it's not there too long, though, the Dune Social Farm. I mean, it's not... 2018 or 2019, it's the end of 2018, yeah. I think yeah. it started and then COVID four years. Came yeah. in the middle of then it. COVID came. So there's um yeah. there's been a hiccup in the middle um of all of that, you know. Mm. So here we are again, we're going back in to see how do we we further the the outcomes, the aims and goals of of the social farm. And what drove those aims and goals? I mean, what was the need that was perceived? The need well, what what exists there, the, the organization is called Ballyhara Rural Services. So doing social farm is one arm of Ballyhower Rural Services. The other arm would be the befriending service. Yes. That existed way before the farm. And the befriending service, their goals and aims are all about rural isolation, social isolation. These are volunteers, They're volunteers offering to yeah. visit people who So the befriending service would go out and visit yeah, people or who... Or phone them. Or phone them. Anyone who's kind of isolated or needing any kind of social support. And, and it could be kind of, you know, a drive to an appointment or... Um, just a meet-up for a cup of tea. Mm. So it's a befriending service. It was Ballyhara Rural Services that took on the social farm. Now, this happened because the Mercy Sisters in Dune came to the end of their, um, their sustainable time. lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. They, the, the nuns had, had they were ageing. They couldn't manage the massive complex of properties that's out there. Massive school that used to be a boarding school and the convent grounds, mm. which included 33 acres of farm. So they offered it... To the community. Uh, to the community. And that is how Ballyhara Rural Services got involved. So they've taken it on, for better, for worse. There right. it is. And uh, we are working it out as as a, a living project. Like we, you know, we have staff. Um, they have families. So, you know, it's about keeping this going, but keeping mm. it going in a sustainable fashion. Yeah. So it's Ballyhara Rural Services with the two arms, the befriending and the social farm. Yeah. That's how this came about. So that's one of the kind of the green projects that are out there. Laura, the Donkey Sanctuary. Now, that's pretty well known. It's got plenty of good news following it. So what, what are the operations like in Ireland for the don- Donkey Sanctuary? What, are you, what do you do? Well, we're a, we're a national charity. We're probably the one of the largest animal welfare charities in Ireland. We're certainly the biggest equine welfare charity in, in Ireland, based in the Carroll area of Cork, North Cork. And uh, that's where our four farms are. They house the majority of our, our donkeys. We've got over 1,700 donkeys in our care. Really? 1,700? Yeah. yeah, so they're housed across And how much our... land are you basing that across? Well, we have we have four farms in the Mallow area, and then we have a network of holding bases that extend out a bit a bit wider, and then we have five hundred uh, donkeys out in over five hundred donkeys out in guardian homes. That's a, effectively like a fostering scheme, right? Um, so. The, the most people will be familiar with our open farm in Liscarroll, so that's mm. where 
people can come and meet uh you know a, a small number relatively small number of of the donkeys that we've we've taken into our care over the last some of them have been with us for 20 20 years and, and what is the kind of i mean donkeys they they're very popular with people. Like yeah. I go for a walk, and there's a donkey on, you know, in a in a back garden, or he's well, it's it's on the the main road. But if I don't say hello to him on the way past, he's there <laughs> standing at the gate waiting for me, and I come back and roaring at me, you know, like you know, where's where's the chat? What are we going to say today? Um, and you know, he's um, you know, he's grown on me as such. I wouldn't have been a big fan of donkeys, but certainly they do have a place in people's heart. They definitely do. And especially in, in Ireland, I think they're kind of synonymous with Ireland. They almost have a, a slightly spiritual status um, with some people in Ireland, particularly along the kind of the West Coast where yeah. people yeah. obviously in years gone by would have used them extensively in farming before right. the automation of, of the farming industry. So they're, they're still, they've, they've, transitioned from being a working animal to now a companion animal mm. but the reason that we're mm. so busy from a welfare point of view is is because they sort of fall between the stools of working and companion animals so sadly they are often not looked after very well and, and why is it what happens i mean you know when you know they're, they're obviously their feet aren't paired their teeth aren't looked after i mean it is in nobody's benefit to let that happen to animals no, it really isn't. And a lot of the time what we would find is that it's not intentional neglect or right. abuse even in some cases. Mm. It's just that people genuinely don't understand some really basic facts about donkeys. So, right. you know, uh, Ireland, particularly the west coast of Ireland, is a, is a is the opposite climate to what a donkey is really naturally suited for. They've they they were brought over to uh, Western Europe by the Romans. They've evolved from very dry desert like conditions, so their coats aren't waterproof. Their hooves are porous. Um, they suffer greatly if they don't have shelter. Mm. Um, but they've evolved to not show pain. So. Um, you know, some of these labels that are attached to donkeys, like being stubborn or obstinate or whatever, it's actually because the donkey is ahead of you. They're incredibly intelligent and they read emotions very well. It's one right. of the reasons that um, we run equine, um, we run donkey-assisted activities through through our donkey-assisted therapy centre up in Belfast and we, we have others over in, in Britain. Mm. Um, emotionally very intuitive animals. And... Um, so they have evolved not to show pain and to instead really self-preserve. So um, a donkey will tell you a lot about yourself. <laughs> um, and if you know what you're looking for, you will recognise when a donkey is unhappy. But unlike a horse, they may not exhibit They just sit these... there stoically. Absolutely. They're yeah. sto they are stoic animals. And for us, that really means that rather than being complacent because they're okay... We have to be extra vigilant. So yeah. they're very social. So you talked about the the one donkey that you met. Donkeys yeah. should ideally always be in yeah. a Yeah, when he's up to the gate waiting to talk to me. Yeah, yeah he's probably yeah, really wanting to get to know yeah, you. Yeah. That's the thing, yeah. yeah. Um, John, John, you're in Schliella um, over in... In Churchtown. In Churchtown. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your project. I suppose Schliella is a 50-acre farm with... Um, three social enterprises. I suppose our main focus is helping people recover from mental health difficulties. Mm. So our maximum capacity is 12. 
we have three different living accommodations in the main house. There's um, five bedrooms and a bedroom for a staff of six. So it's 24-7 supervision. Well, so when people come in first, they're referred by psychiatrists or their uh, medical team, and they're housed in the, the main house where they're under supervision for medication and for just, just to get to know the whole team. After a while, there's uh, another accommodation uh, with three bedrooms in the cottage, also within the grounds. So it's kind of semi-independence. So we're trying to go in a direction where you're putting, you're, you're giving people the opportunity to, 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 to gain independence again after maybe being at home for a long number of years right, yeah. or maybe from a psychiatric unit. And then here in Charleville, we have a bakery uh, uh, in a house and attached to that house is four bedroom, are four bedrooms as well. So this is where people become totally independent. The and they have purpose food. if they want to walk in the in the bakery. They or, have. Yeah. Well, you see, this is where the social enterprises come in. Then we have um, a fifty-acre organic farm. Um, That's the one out in out in Churchtown. Churchtown. So we have uh, fifty acres. We grow about twenty-seven different types of vegetables. We also have an Aberdeen Angus uh, suckling herd, and uh, we have um, a Saturday market from April until November every Saturday for about two hours. So we have about maybe 30, 35 stallholders come in. We really? Have, and have you got a big turnout from that then? A massive you? turnout. It's a, it's, it serves a lot of functions for us. One of the functions is raising funds, which yes. are badly needed. We're, we're 80% supported by the HSE, but we have to come up with the other 20% ourselves. So we we have our own farm shop there and we get uh, a fee from the other stallholders every Saturday. Mm. gives people the opportunity to come in and see what we're doing. Right. They walk the tunnels, they look at the vegetables. Um, if the cattle are nearby, they'll have a look at those. They interact with what we're doing out there. They look for a bit of advice. Uh, maybe they want. So to it's s- a way to have the one-to-one without having the one-to-one. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And it it educates. It's lovely to see the young young children. When during COVID, there we took on a project of putting up uh, some raised beds, um, with the view of maybe highlighting the fact that people can actually grow their own food. And it worked quite well, especially for families. Um, when families got involved, they really um, grabbed the idea that they could actually produce some of their own food and be sustainable in that in that way. Uh, the other advantage of of the of the the Saturday market is we have our own shop, as I said, there for selling the vegetables. But the tenants mend the shop, and they interact with the customers. Right. So there's no nobody in uniform or anything like nobody, that. Everybody, you could be no, talking to anybody. You could be ca- talking to anybody, and yeah. nobody knows the background of anybody there. Um, they could be staff. They could be tenants. You just don't know. These are just ordinary people, fell into a pothole of life, and you know they're just trying to claw their way back out of it. And I suppose the the experience that they get from the social enterprises, say the, the planting the vegetables, that now if if a customer asks about you know what's this vegetable, what's mm. that potato, mm. you know they're in a position to tell them, mm. you know how it started, when it was planted, when it was yeah. harvested, yeah. what variety, what flavour is of yeah, this, you know. something to talk about Something as well. to talk about. Yeah, and uh, it's meaningful work then as well. It's very meaningful. It gives the lads a bit of structure uh, to their day. They get up in the morning, they have a few jobs to do in the house themselves, tidy their own bedroom, have their breakfast. Some go to the bakery, so the bakery mm. is operating five days and a week. And where's the outlet for the bakery then? The outlet for the bakery is uh, Super Value is our main outlet here right. in Charleville. Okay, so they're so great, great supporters of us um, as our vegetables go in there as well. 
Um, other other outlets then would be um, there's a number of shops locally in Butterfield. There's a, a butcher shop. He takes a lot of our product as well. Um, and then there's a few more outlet uh, shops around the around the area, mm. uh, and they support us they as well. Support us, right? You know. Now you were eighty percent funded by the HSE. Yes. So you have to go and get 20% of it. And that's, is it multi-annual funding or is it it's only, annual, it's annual, it's annual, annual funding, funding so annual. you never know from one year to the next? Well, you put your best case forward, really. Right. And um, I suppose this is where Jess, our CEO, comes in. Uh, she's she has a master's in business, so she, she, she can, um, she puts a lot of effort into that. My role is looking after the enterprises, the estate. Right, okay. So that's my role. Yeah, and that keeps you away from policies, such policy formation. Yeah, oh, for policy formation, yes, <laughs> that would be um, that yeah. would be a tricky area. Yeah. But, you know, you, you, it's good to know about them because you have to implement the policies afterwards. So, you know, the policies are put out there for amendment or yeah. for perusal and yeah. we make any contributions that are needed. So you and Marion, Marion Clark here, you have a lot in common then. Huge amount. Except you don't have the 80% HSE funding. <laughs> Absolutely not. I love it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, no, that, I'll be talking to you. That, that's a tough um, ask then, isn't it? It is, when you but don't I, have I'd that say funding. that um, you have a good track record. I don't know. I'd say Schliela's like a good bit older than ourselves and have developed a kind of a um, a profile and are they're known in the, the world of health around North Cork anyway. Um, we are heading that way. I would say we will try. This is where we're, we have to have a direction and that's going to be, do you know, that we have to build those relationships to get our, our funding, like, as you yeah. say, more than annual funding that it would yeah, be. Yeah, you need to have service level annual. agreements with I, And I have to kind of just, just mention here that um, my, I'm on the board with um, Marion here, Marion Clark for um, Dune Social Farm. So uh, just let you know. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, you were saying, um, Laura, that you had 500 volunteer farms or volunteer hosts. How do you go about that, getting that many volunteers to take a donkey? It's, it's becoming increasingly difficult because obviously there's a finite number of um, people who are actually set up to mm. bring donkeys into their lives and they are literally bringing donkeys onto their own private um, land and, you know, making a commitment to have them as members of their family. Because really. you're talking about 30 years, are you? I mean, what's the yeah, lifespan? Yeah, I mean, the advantage of becoming a guardian rather than becoming a private donkey owner is that if your circumstances change, then the donkey, can. we take the donkeys back. We never yeah. transfer the ownership of them. But it's also a great way of us um, spreading the word about the value that donkeys bring, you know, that kind of mutually beneficial relationship between mm. donkeys and humans, which has existed. But people who would years. come to take them on and be their yeah. guardians would be naturally disposed positively anyway. But how do you, I mean, do you, how do you get out there, get word out there that you're looking for guardians? Well, we... We always welcome people who want to be guardians. We do do a bit of marketing and, you know, we put the word out through PR and advertising and marketing. Um, but actually, probably the harder thing to do is to is to filter out the people who are really, you know, people like the idea of having donkeys on their land. But once you get into mm. actually what, what they need to do and the type of infrastructure they need, it, it, it usually a lot of people drop out of the process. Mm. Um, and 
you know, our challenge is to persuade some people then to not go off and, and get private donkeys of their own because they can't get them through us. But um, we have, you know, guardians on our on our books, if you like, that have been with us for 20 odd years, you know. Mm. And one of the things that one of the benefits that, that they tell us they really enjoy is that they become like an extension of the charity and they they become well should they become the voice for it they really do. don't they yeah yeah. yeah yeah and they become you know like the gold standard bearers yeah. for what what good donkey because welfare there's, there's like. one thing you can certainly find with donkeys you'll hear them <laughs> <laughs> you'll you know if what has come into a, you it's, know the, at least a yeah. 30 or 40 acre uh, <laughs> you know hinterland um john and 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 um i suppose as well marion is also Volunteers, I mean, they have to be kind of, you know, more with the guardians, with Laura. Volunteers are an essential part of what you do and manage. And Absolutely. how do you find, how do you find your volunteers? And, and what's the age kind of group? Are you getting younger people to volunteer? We're not really getting younger people to volunteer at the moment. I suppose, look, people's lives are very busy. Um, most of our... Were they ever not, though? Well, this yeah, I suppose it's a good point. But I suppose most of our volunteers would come um, people who are socially isolated, like Marion mentioned earlier on. Mm. But more of our volunteers then would come. Maybe they have a little difficulty themselves, you know, that they know and mm. they understand, and they need the companionship. They need the they need the the association with other like-minded people. Mm. Or we have a few volunteers whose family members have been through the system mm. and they understand what it means to give back. And I suppose people just want to give back. They come in their own terms. They come on the days when they'll all be mm. there. So there's a bit of companionship. There's a community there, yeah. mostly Mondays, Thursdays and Fridays. Yeah. You know, the place is buzzing and there's yeah. a little buzz that, that they come. And it's great for the tenants as well. Yeah. Because now... There's other have, people around. There's other people around. They're coming with diverse stories from their experiences during the week. Mm. You know, we have one volunteer and um, very amusing girl, really, really very amusing. You know, uh, and and she keeps the the whole thing very lighthearted. But they're a vital part of our, our, uh, our setup because... They all bring something. They all have some some talent. You know, we have a number of volunteers now. They'll be, they're already planting flowers mm. um, uh, just to, to pretty the place up. Right, and, and, okay. and also last year, we made a lot of money out of selling flowers. Right. So that was a big enterprise. Big new enterprise going on, yeah. Yes. Uh, and and a national organisation now in flower growers. The objective is to kind of get rid of about 70% of the imports. And that we we produce Irish Irish flowers, and we also have the marketplace every Saturday to sell the flowers yeah. as well. So it, it's it's a great synergy for us, you know, and it's a great money making uh, uh, business for us yeah. as well. Um, you have other people, and they're very handy to with construction, to weld, to mm. put wooden projects together, um, and they're a great asset to us. Yeah. And you have other people, then just want to pick up a shovel and dig a trench and, and fill it with farmyard manure or something like that. And, you know, and they're all very, very welcome. And what about Dune now, Dune Farm? Uh, what are the, the volunteers there? Are they central to the whole project? They're very important to the whole project. When I arrived, there were two volunteers, um, two women, uh, very important um, to the project. They seem to know when they're needed. <laughs> they turn <laughs> up um, through intuition or something, but they're fabulous. Um it's definitely something that we, we need to build is that volunteer programme. Um, just last week I had a woman come in, she buys our vegetables and she said she, she was thinking of it, she'd been thinking about it for a year. So name and number and we're, we're going to have her in. 
Um, yeah, and there's a couple of others who've expressed an interest. So it's a programme we need to build. And I think, I, I don't know what John finds, I just think it needs to be tailored for that particular volunteer because, you know, not all days suit them, not all times suit them, not all jobs suit them. And I think you could follow... And you can't be you prescriptive. Could, you can't. And you can take volunteers for granted. Um, yeah. And that's the last thing they want. They yeah. don't want to be taken for granted. Mm. So um, I think once you create a safe, friendly, happy space and that you're listening to their wants and needs and you respond accordingly and they feel they belong, mm -hmm. that they're a vital part of the organisation, that sense of belonging, I think, is really important. And then in terms of the management structure... Um, you're building a project there now, 200 hens, two polytunnels, 33 acres, um, clients coming through. Um, the volunteers that need to manage that or to run it as a board, is that difficult? Is it difficult to get people to come on and take that project? Because no more than any of them here, you, yourself, John, with Ella, funding is, you know, you, you know, it all turns yeah. on the the. The, on, a, on a sixpence when it comes to funding. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you need particularly strong, do you need a strong board to manage that or to deal with it? You would. Or, and a brave board. <laughs> yeah, you think. You would. Yeah. You need that, you'd need a board in place that would have the courage to make the decisions that need to be made that mm. can, and a variety, a diverse board that, you know, you'd have a business, somebody from yeah. the business sector, somebody from the agri sector, you know, that there's a diversity within the board Um and of course, they are volunteers. They're they're very important volunteers um, in the whole structure. Yeah, absolutely. What about yourself, John? Would you find that as well in, in terms of your own board? The, the track record of the management really um, puts the board at ease, uh, especially when in our project, because we have a very, very solid structure. We have funding at 80%. Um, it's very clear to us how we can make the extra 20%. And um, we're going to develop that a bit more with more fundraising maybe open up a shop here in town uh, for uh, added profile and also to raise funds as well. Um, and we have a few more plans in, in, in place. So I suppose as a member of a board, it's, if, you, if you didn't have confidence in your, in your management team, uh, I'm on the board of the Organic Trust myself in Ireland, and if we didn't have uh, the, 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 the trust in the management, yes, we'd be awake all night. Mm. But it's with regular contact and regular meetings that you, you, you find out what's going on. If there's a crisis, you need to be called in. Uh, how do we deal with this? And, and you manage it. So a board that trusts good management. Absolutely. That's the two things you need. Yeah. And what about yourself then, Laura? Um, you know, that whole area of the volunteers that you have, you know, the, the guardians and yeah. the board, you know, is there a synergy between them? I report to the chairman of our board, so we have we have obviously an Irish, but we're a subsidiary of the UK, UK charity, right? Um, but we have our own board in Ireland and a very very strong board, and there isn't a direct link between the board and and the volunteers, but we are actually just in the process of arranging for some visits between our board members and some of those guardian homes so that they can really understand how it works, how that mm. how that mm. essentially is, if you're right, is a volunteering mm. scheme, mm. although we mm. don't describe it as such. Mm. Um, we also use volunteers at our, at our open farm as well. So in the past, they've been used to do what we what we called um, uh, kind of quality, quality um, time with donkeys. But we're actually going to use volunteers more on, on the visitor experience this season, this this spring and summer season to kind of help navigate people around the site. Of course, we have the Ballyhara walkway going right. through okay. our site. And um, 
but the board are incredibly important. I'm I'm really lucky. I have a really really strong board. Um, Michael Cronin is our chairman. He's got a very you know massive career in the dairy industry in Ireland, and he still works closely with the Department for Agriculture. And um, he's very well connected. He's a great sounding board. If you were to be given one wish, Marion, what would it be? Oh, there's putting me on the spot. Um, I would go for a service level agreement with the likes of the HSE, where we would get onto a surer footing for funding mm. that we could predict. So that means you're getting so many people coming through, being referred by the likes of the HSE every week, every month. Yeah, exactly. That and, we w- and you have these monthly or weekly contracts with them. Well, you know, they're, yeah. they're, they're annual at least. That we would have you know the programmes. Yeah, we would... We would um, outline the programs that we have. It might be a six-week program, yeah. and it might be for adults, mental health, in the mental health uh, sector, yeah. that they would then be referred in from HSE bodies, mm. but that would be guaranteed, like, you know, as long as they can keep referring in mm. and we can keep working with them on the farm. But it has to be a much more inexpensive way of minding people who have some difficulties. Well, it keeps them out them of in, hospital. Well, this exactly, is, when you think what, about the A&E and what's happening there over the winter, yeah, this is, the it makes complete sense. I mean, the, the amount of studies and research that's gone into green care, mm. many people here are nodding, they know that this has been researched and researched. We know that the green care umbrella, whether it's mm. social farming or social therapeutic horticulture, equine, whatever it is, it's, it's hugely beneficial. It works. It works. Yeah. And John, what about yourself, if you had a wish for Sliela? I suppose our main, my main wish would be that we'd actually own the premises, we'd own our building. We have a 30-year lease in it, and I suppose that does stymie you with the development a little bit um, because I suppose when you put money into when you invest money into something that you own, you know, you, you can make a plan, you could add on to that and add on to that. We don't own where we are. Um, we're, we're tentatively talking to the owners um, in the the very near future, so hopefully that will that will yield something because it's a it's a magnificent location. It it's is. A I've been there. Yeah. Magnificent facility. The character that's there is you could not buy it. You could not buy this character. You know when Joan Hamilton, who started it um, in my time, she she got developed her planning permission for for four chalets, for two bedroom chalets, and unfortunately we couldn't build them because we didn't own them. It wasn't the money that stopped us. It was the yeah. the fact that we didn't own it. You're putting yeah. a building on somebody else's land. Yeah. You know, so it's that could that could um, that could change. So the ownership, yeah, that's a lot of fundraising. I can see. It <laughs> has, but listen, you know, if we had it, you've been there, you've seen the character, you've seen mm. the feel that you get from the place. You know, you cannot, you can money can't buy that. Mm. And Laura, what about yourself? One wish that our money was spent more on the. The positive preventative work rather than the the crisis mm. welfare work that we do. I mean, do. That, that was awful, that photograph of that little donkey that mm-hmm. was used there on social media recently. Yeah. Was it being driven? A car was pulling mm-hmm. it. Yeah, we rescued like that donkey along with six others um, on Saturday. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, the good news is they are at least... You know, Being looked after and cared in, for yeah, now. in a secure premises with food and shelter and they've been checked by the vet. And yeah, I mean, we would love to be in that sort of zone where we're doing much more of the awareness raising and the education and really promoting the, the positive, um, mutually beneficial and therapeutic mm. with a small T. Mm. We have mm. to be careful about how we talk about equine therapies because that people get sort of, 
you know, there can be that can be misinterpreted in terms of um, what you're actually providing. But yeah, we would love to be in that zone where we're helping to sort of reframe the relationship that donkeys mm. have with people in in Ireland because it is a unique and special relationship. Yeah, rather than going out as often as we are. I mean, we we saw over two thousand donkeys in the community last year, so. We do a lot of that work where we we offer those these subsidised services. We do the farriery, the dentistry. We do the cast. We will castrate animals. Um, we'll refer on. And for, that referral is further. Is it just purely around the Liscarle area? No, no, or the, is it countrywide, nationwide. nationwide all right, yeah. okay. Yeah, we that. have donkey welfare advisors all over Ireland. So um, yeah, we, we cover a, and in the north as well. So mm. um, we have welfare advisors in our, and that's where our. Uh, donkey assisted uh, therapy center is, right, is in okay. Belfast. Okay, well, listen, I think um, that's where we'll finish today. Um, if you want to follow up on anything that we've covered here, you can check out the links on the show notes to this episode. So, John, Laura, and Marion, thank you very much for giving us an insight into green care. Um, uh, and thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you.